And I told my family, like, I am working day and night. I am going to take this candle thing apart, break it down to its essence and figure out what I can do that makes what I'm going to create different. Because as you know, as everyone knows, there are a million candles out there. There are so many different fragrances and so many different designs. And I went with my aesthetic, which is modern, minimal, but classic. And I created the stories behind eight fragrances first. And I created two collections, the Hope Collection and the Love Collection, because I really wanted to have this sense of positivity and love and hope. Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with another season of That's Total Mom Sense, the podcast, where I interview parenting experts, global thought leaders, best-selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories, their mom sense and dad sense experiences, and the values and legacy they're passing on to their children. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. These episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release every Thursday. Join my tribe by logging on to thatstotalmomsense.com, where you'll receive my free Parenting in a Pandemic guidebook, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. What's one non-tech item in your home that instantly calms you down and has the power to transport you to another place? For me, it's my Bodewell living candle. The scents are an experience all their own and lighting the candle and watching the wax melt into a pool is a meditative exercise in itself. Bodewell Living came from humble beginnings and now has nearly 300 doors across the U.S. and Canada, and as of 2022, has grown to include Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue, Ohio Valley Inn, and Hey Mama-owned Payne's Gray, an interior design site. It was a fast and furious trajectory from zero to explosive. Founder Efstathia Tanji, lovingly known as Effie, started this tiny business in 2018. She sold candles out of the back of her SUV at her daughter's soccer practices. Friends told friends who told friends, and bam, Bodewell was born. But it wasn't easy. Retail giants took notice, and Effie found herself drowning under the demands of packing and shipping out of her kitchen day and night. While her dreams materialized before her eyes, she lost sight of what was truly important, her family, her community, her own self. Over time, she found her place in this world. Effie says, the world is full of wonder, magic, and endless possibilities. There is space for each and every dreamer, maker, poet, designer, doctor, mother, fighter, believer. This is a time for collaboration over competition. It is a time for transparency and kindness. It is a time for personal as well as global awareness and growth. It is a time to give what you can and ask for what you need. Effie is the founder, designer, storyteller, and dreamer of Bodewell Living. She created it because she wanted to show her children that one could build something from nothing, that you could nurture what seems impossible, that you could scream out in failure and giggle in surprise, that you could build day and night. 
You could water and wait. You could hold your breath in anticipation. You could watch that something grow. Effie resides in Playa Vista, California with her husband, Sean, a firefighter captain and business partner, and their kids, Ella, Nico, and Lexi. I am excited to uncover the growth and evolution of all that Effie stands for and what Bodewell Living encompasses. Effie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Absolutely. It's a long time coming. I'm so glad this is happening. Tell us about your roots and how you grew up. Well, I grew up in a tiny town in Pennsylvania. We had a cement factory, a dairy farm, a strip club, (laughs) one one, uh, chemical factory. And that is really like an Aaron Brockovich story. I mean, it was really an interesting time and place to grow up in. And honestly, I always felt like there was something else for me out there that as soon as I became an adult, that I would just leave. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) That's so wonderful. You just knew you needed to spread your wings. Yeah. What are some of the career milestones um, that you've had that you can share with us? Well, I've done so many different things. I got my degree in theater arts. So that's a kind of a very interesting thing. And I originally wanted to study acting, but I really got into design and writing and directing as well. And I think I've always had this desire and passion to design something. And then I sort of worked my way into working with children, specifically children, on the autism spectrum. And so I became a behavioral therapist and that's actually where I met my husband. I was taking one of my clients to the fire station and he gave us the tour. And honestly, it was love at first sight. Oh my goodness, that's so sweet. You know, when did you finally get married and decide to start a family? So he was a confirmed bachelor and mm-hmm. I was had dated, I, I feel like I dated everyone, um, <laughs> all different kinds of people, musicians, actors, attorneys, doctors, and I don't know, something just brought us together and we both just knew instantly that we were each other's partners for life. So we got married, then a couple years after we got married, we started having children. I thought I would, you know, one and done. We both said one and done. And we had our daughter, Ella. And then when she was about two years old, I don't know, we both kind of thought, well, she can't be alone. So we need another one. And then Nico came and we were definitely done. We were totally done having kids. And then I said, I don't know. I feel like there's another child waiting, waiting to be born. And my husband, Sean, was like, oh, we already discussed this. We spent a year going back and forth. Will we or won't we? And we decided on we won't. Then I had a positive pregnancy test. <laughs> I was like, guess what, honey? <laughs> no, it's not up to us. <laughs> <another way. laughs> so, yeah. And then Lexi was born. And then that was it. Oh, that's so yeah. awesome. What is it like having a party of five? It's awesome. For us, it got easier and easier because my my daughter is now 10 and she really is like this little mother to both boys. And it is so amazing. And I, I don't think I would have been able to do it without her, honestly. 
So yeah, we love being a party of five. Now a party of six because we got a puppy, Olive. So <laughs> that's so sweet. Oh my goodness. Well, what was your motherhood journey like? Were there any like epiphanies or aha moments? Two out of three, I did experience postpartum depression, feeling like I was so alone in this journey. Um, my husband works 24-hour shifts, and sometimes he can got, be gone for up to 72 hours. And I just felt like, oh my gosh. And my daughter was, I guess, a high, you would call her a high-needs baby. So she had to be carried around in the ergo all day. I mean, we would go for three to four mile walks every single day. I was completely exhausted. She nursed every 90 minutes for the first, I think, six months. And she was in the bed with us. And it was just insane. I didn't, I don't have any family here. So it was really like I was waiting for my village that kind of never came. So I had to just go with them myself. And my husband and I really got through those that first year or so together. I mean, it really solidified our bond. And he totally embraced what I was going through and was so supportive. Wow. How did you dig your way out of it? Well, first, it took someone else. It actually was my mother-in-law who said, hey, I think something's going on. Are you okay? And I thought, yeah, I'm totally fine. I'm fine. Why? Why do you say that? And she said, well, you don't let anyone else hold the baby. And even Sean, I didn't want to give her up. I didn't want to let her out of my arms, even Mm. though I'm so exhausted. I had this idea in my head that I was the only one that could take care of her. So I kind of had this epiphany And I said to Sean, do you think I'm okay? Do you think there's something going on with me? And he said, yeah, I think that you need to sleep. I think that getting up at 4 a.m. and cleaning the house, like I started doing all these crazy things to organize my life because it felt so out of control. Right. I started seeing a therapist and she knew right away, you know, and she just said, this is what you're experiencing. It's totally normal. And talking about it is the best thing that you can do because there is a stigma that even still, even no matter how much we talk about it and we try to normalize it, you still feel the sense of, well, I have this beautiful baby and I'm supposed to be so happy about it. Even talking to your friends who seem to be really happy about their babies or their children, it's kind of hard. But as soon as I was able to sort of label what was going on, I was able to start talking to people about it. And I was able to pick up the phone and say, I'm having a really bad day. I'm having a really tough time getting through X, Y, or Z. And that really, really helped me get through it. Wow. And I was also able to write about it, which felt really great because I could put all of my sort of darkest feelings down on paper put it away, take it out, reread it and feel this sense of, I got through that. Look at how I felt, you know, it's a, it's a documentation of your feelings. And afterwards I felt really proud of myself that I got through it. Wow. I love that. So tell us about how Bodewell Living was born. It's so crazy. So I also have a a jewelry line called Trust Fund that I have with my best friend, Alea Ramsey. 
And that started because we we were thinking about, we want to work together. We want to do something fun together. Let's do jewelry. And then after a couple of years of doing that, I thought, well, let me add something else to my plate. And it came out of this idea that someone presented to me. They said, you know, jewelry is great, but how many pieces of jewelry do you actually buy? And once you have it, you kind of keep it, right? Yeah. So why don't you create a consumable? And I thought, oh my God, that is brilliant. But I was like, well, like what? They're like, oh, candles. It's so easy. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> loves candles. Everybody loves candles. Yes. It's yeah. true. But I had never really burned them because I'm very, very sensitive to fragrances and scents. I don't wear any perfumes, nothing that has any sort of scent in them. Okay. I say this, I tell everybody this sort of thing, the origin story is I went into this cave in my brain and I told my family, like, I am working day and night. I am going to take this candle thing apart, break it down to its essence and figure out what I can do that makes what I'm going to create different. Because as you know, as everyone knows, there are a million candles out there. There are so many different fragrances and so many different designs. And I went with my aesthetic, which is modern, minimal, but classic. And I created the stories behind eight fragrances first. And I created two collections, the Hope Collection and the Love Collection, because I really wanted to have this sense of positivity and love and hope. And so, yeah, wrote all the stories from memories that I had experienced throughout my childhood, traveling, and then through motherhood. And I figured out which scents really evoke those emotions. And then I did the label design. And once I had the label design, and I didn't have a name yet. So once I had the label design, I thought, okay, I need a name. And it came to me while I was getting ready (laughs) one morning and I was putting these different words together and I really wanted something balanced and something that felt good and would be, would carry on to maybe other things. So bode well came into my head and it means to live well. And that's it. That's how it was born. Yep. Wow. I love that. I want to come back to your name, Estathia. So tell us what that means. It's Greek. My father came from Greece when he was in his 20s. And my grandfather's name was Estathios. So in kind of Greek tradition, the firstborn child gets the grandfather's name. And since I was a girl, they just changed the ending to be the female version And it means straightforward and on the right path. It's kind of amazing. And I I didn't have a nickname until I went to kindergarten. And the teacher wrote a letter, like a little letter home and pinned it to my shirt. Mm -hmm. And my mom opened it and it said, could you please provide us with a nickname for Estathea because yeah. nobody can say her name. Nobody wants to be friends with her because they don't know how to say her name. Okay. And we went to this fair and I remember picking out Effie 
And at first we spelled it E-F-F-Y and then we changed it to E-F-F-I-E. That was it. Oh, now tell us more about just how the process works. Well, I worked with a uh, perfumer to create the scents and it was really this like journey of trying different fragrances together, different combinations that would elicit this scent that for me was bearable, right? Because I Mm -hmm. said I'm sensitive. Also something that smelled clean, but dynamic. So nothing one noted, everything has a very interesting combination. And I try to make all of the scents balanced. So it's not just a rose or a gardenia, because sometimes that can feel very perfumey and very heavy and cloying. And I didn't want to create those. So it was some trial and error. A lot of the times the perfumer would say, I've never combined those scents before. I'm not sure that's going to work. And they ended up being some of the most interesting scents that were created. And at this point, I think I've created almost 45 proprietary fragrances. So I am so excited about that and just feel like it was in my brain. Then it became something that other people can experience. The wax part of it, because my husband is a firefighter, I knew that I wanted a clean burning wax. And it is actually really difficult to work with natural waxes. Paraffin is pretty ubiquitous and a lot of people use it because it's easy to work with. It is available and it gives a great scent throw, but it's petroleum based. And I didn't want to put that in the air. I didn't want to support that. So it was a long time of really trying to get that formula to work with the fragrances. And we did it. And I'm so proud that I just kept pushing for it because I did get this, you know, oh, Effie, I know you want to go natural, but, you know, nobody really cares or it doesn't really matter. This is what everybody uses. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to compromise. I care about my kids. I care about what my husband breathes in when he's fighting a fire. And that just really resonated with me. What When things burn, what happens? We take them into our bodies. You know, our pets take them into their bodies. And I wanted something that I could stand behind. I never actually poured the candles in my home. I had professionals do that. I still have professionals do that. And then the the designing I did and, you know, had other people obviously manufacture the glass and the boxes. And then for a long time, yeah, I was packing and shipping so much, honestly, 10 hours a day standing. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And then lifting 50 pounds. And then once I got a hernia, uh, my husband was like, you, you can't do this. You've yes. got to get a fulfillment center. So this past year during the pandemic, I just said, enough is enough. I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. And I work with a wonderful female-owned company out of LA and another female-owned company out of Chicago. I couldn't be happier. One thing that I love that's so resonant to your branding is, so you have these really memorable 
names like the ombre candle or amour or noir. And the way that you do the script, it's A period M-O-U-R or N period O-I-R. So how did you come up with that whole thing? (laughs) So I, I love thinking about things in parts and how they come together to form a whole and how that tells a story. So going back to the original designs and choosing hope and love, I took the letter, so H, and created wheat, and then O, and created ouvrier, P for passion, and E for FSA. So that whole first letter with the period goes back to, it then spells out H-O-P-E, and I did the same thing for love. And then on the back of the boxes is the story about what hope means, what love means, what home means. So that's how I got all of that. And originally I wanted to do Greek names, but it didn't work because (laughs) the Greek language is amazing and I love it, but it's more for, I don't know, scientific terms, I guess. Uh, It doesn't just roll off the tongue the way French does. And I studied French in high school for four years. So I just thought, I'm going to make this romantic and beautiful sounding and different. And so that's why I chose those names. So I personally love the Requiem candle and I have it, I have the box right here. (laughs) And I would love for you to share the backstory behind that and the, the philanthropy behind it. Yeah. So five years ago, uh, my only sibling, my brother, Nicholas, died from a heroin overdose. And it was incredibly shocking and heartbreaking and it was debilitating. I really didn't know how to function and I didn't know how to exist as this woman who had a dead brother. I mean, just to put it very plainly. And I found myself wondering how I would get through it and how I could live after his death. Yeah. So this past year, I had this idea and it was prompted by someone that I was speaking to about PR things. And she asked me this question very pointedly, what do you care about? What moves you? What drives you? And I happened to bring this up and she said, well, why don't you do something about that? Do something. Mm. And that is all I've been searching for. What can I do? And so I decided that I would create a candle to honor him because I've been so angry at what he did and just felt like it's time to turn the page and to remember his life. So like I do with all of my designs, I thought about him and I wanted a really uplifting, beautiful scent that would fill a room and inspire. And I was really nervous about getting so personal because it's hard to do. And I was thinking about words. What would the word be? What would this candle be called? And then Requiem came to me and I asked my husband, I said, what do you think if I did Requiem 
for Nicholas. And he said, I think that's great. So then I decided, okay, I'm going to take this one step further. What can I do besides honor him? And I reached out to a friend of mine who works for Homeless Healthcare Los Angeles. Their mission is to destigmatize addiction. So they're on the streets of Los Angeles and they're handing out needles and Narcan and giving the people who are struggling with addiction respect and compassion. And that really moved me. And I thought, oh my God, why don't we do this? Maybe if my brother wasn't so ashamed of what he was doing, that maybe he would have gotten help and he wouldn't have been hiding. So I am donating 50% of the profits to HHCLA. And I know he is smiling, you know, thinking that you, you thought of something like this in his honor and you're helping others who are battling, you know, their own fight get through it. Yeah. And now for a quick break brought to you by my brand sponsor, Homer. Hi, this is Kanika Shadagupta, founder and host of That's Total Mom Sense. I'm Stephanie Dua, president and co-founder of Homer. And this is At Home with Homer. Homer is the essential early learning program for kids aged two to eight. We have the most comprehensive app available for early learning skills that you can find on iOS or Google Play. And you can also find our really fun explore kits that help kids with their math, their reading, and social emotional learning that you can find on our website, learnwithhomer.com. On this weekly segment, we're going to cover a range of topics from raising confident readers to developing emotional intelligence. These are the skills that will carry your child through school and life and resonate most when taught at home by you, their most important teacher. So grab a notepad, your phone, or your mental notebook to remember the tips shared during the segment. And now on to At Home with Homer. Homer! This installment of At Home with Homer is all about getting involved. So in case our listeners aren't aware, Stephanie Dua's children are very involved in their community in Miami. And I think it's so important to instill this yearning to give back at a young age. So Stephanie, how did you inspire your kids to get involved and give back to their community? Yeah, thanks, Kanika. It's something that's near and dear to my heart. I've spent a lot of my life working sometimes in the for-profit sector, but a lot of working in the nonprofit sector, really trying to work with mission-oriented companies. And you see firsthand all of the challenges from soup kitchens to education systems to children living in foster care or you know young children um, living in detention centers. So I'm super passionate about this. I tried very hard to instill it in my kids. And one of the things I found is it's really hard to find a way for kids to get involved. You know, every place you call to volunteer, they say, well, they're not old enough, or there's a lot of paperwork you have to fill out, you know? And so it's, it was really hard. And during COVID, my youngest Isla 
found the same thing. She and her friends were trying to get involved in Miami here. They were creating masks and they wanted to do care packages, but everywhere they turned, they said that they couldn't find a place to be helpful. Mm. So they created something called MiamiStrong.us with a, a number of other kids. I think they were 10 at the time. And it's really a mission-oriented endeavor to try and bring ideas and service opportunities to young children. But what I like to say is in your own community, you have to keep it simple because I think if it becomes another job that you're trying to do, it feels overwhelming and you're not going to be able to find the time for it. So believe it or not, simple, simple things make a huge difference. So idea number one, I always like to say is, you know, there's always someone who's in need of care locally in your neighborhood, in your school environment. There's always, you know, the Surfside condo collapse just happened. So we just ended up sending Uber Eats meals to the service and the rescue and search teams. So there's always a way to easily understand an issue and put together a care package. And I think it's important for anything you do with your family to have three components. I like to say one is an understanding of the issue, even for little kids. So what is the understanding of the issue around homelessness? What is the understanding of the issue around children foster care? Because that helps build empathy and understanding. And then second is what is one small thing I can do to help with that issue? And Third, you know, how do you make it their own so that they're able to put their own personal stamp on it, you know, in a way that works for them. But a couple of other ideas I like to always offer to families that we've done is definitely putting together care packages for a neighbor. It's great. Or someone in your community Two is collecting kind of non-perishable items that you can donate to a food pantry. We did that during COVID. We could just drop it off at any one of many food pantries. Three is really setting up a spare change jar in your home for a local charity. We have the girls each have a little jar of to give, you know, and so that they can collect change and they can think about where they want to donate that. And even small things like looking around your neighborhood when you're walking your dog and saying like, we should pick up this trash because having trash around our neighborhood is not good for the environment, or we should use recyclable containers instead of single use containers because that's Mm -hmm. not good for our environment. So again, it's sort of how do you kind of build some of those habits so that you're in service? But the bigger point is what does service mean for your family and really having conversations about that. In the end, what you realize, what all studies will tell you about happiness is The biggest component of happiness is community, number one, and two is acts of service. So, Mm. you know, I think building those habits early on so that kids understand it's not about me, but it's about how might I use this time to do something good for somebody else. That's building the blocks of empathy and kindness and gratitude that are so important for children. Wow. That's, that's incredible. I want to kind of talk about Miami Strong. (laughs) Because I'm on the website now. It is such a robust, really beautifully designed site. How did you know your 10-year-old conceptualize this? And then how did you team up with other parents and launch something of this scale? She has two friends that they work on it together. And once a quarter, they pick an issue that they want to learn about. And then they identify a charity and on profit in the community to work with. And what excited them was, you know, this concept of how do you identify what it means to be a strong community? You know, they have a sense of what it means to be a strong student. They have a sense of what does it mean to have a strong family life, but what does it mean to have a strong community? Certainly in Miami, there are many individuals, adults and children who are struggling with food insecurity, you know, that don't have meals. You know, there are many children and adults who are homeless. 
And so they got very passionate about those issues, especially during COVID and trying to understand them and then finding ways for young children to get involved. So one of the things they do is they have a big potluck, a casserole, believe it or not, it's like a casserole night. And they make <laughs> casseroles for this wonderful organization, Camilla's House here in Miami. They, as a family and kids, they all get together in a kitchen and make these casseroles to deliver. The second thing they love doing is collecting little toiletries that you get from hotels and otherwise, obviously, before COVID, that was more common, but they collect all these little toiletries. And those are great for the homeless shelters because they're small, single-use toiletries that are in high demand, believe it or not. And so instead of tossing them, they can collect them and donate them. So it's really just about picking one thing, not making mm-hmm. it overcomplicated. Um, but for these girls, they were really interested in homelessness and they were really interested in food insecurity and how do you get meals in the hands of kids and adults who don't have access to it. Yes. No, that's great. But advice for the parents, I mean, for how they got the website up, how they yeah. built their community, how, you know, is it Facebook driven? Yeah, exactly. Well, so the good news right now is they are so technically savvy at this age, but so they know Canva, <laughs> so they know how to create templates, Squarespace, I think just to yes. on a website, you know, mm-hmm. so all of this is self-serve now. And so they didn't even need to know how to code. They just needed to use a few YouTube tutorials and figure out how to set something up. And then they use stock photography largely to kind of create it. And, you know, the big thing was not getting in their way, really like lead and letting it be their thing. And, you know, now they're starting their next project again. So they're busy kids, right? So you also have to make it something that's manageable for them, but they really enjoy, they enjoy the community element because they get together their girls, there are like 12 of them, they get together and they, it's a fun event to do. They'll go to the mall and they'll buy some things, you know, and they'll create care packages for kids. It becomes like a social effort as well. Yes, yes, them. yes. It's really, really nice. If anyone has 10 year old girls, you know, that that's <laughs> like a fun thing to do to go to someone's house and create care packages for them. Oh my goodness. That is really enterprising. Um, and it's so amazing how they came together and they're learning as they go. It's, it's their own kind of project um, and they're giving back in the process, which is the best part of it. I wanted to also ask you about with younger kids, how can we really spell out the fact that there is adversity in the world? Mm -hmm. There are those who are less fortunate than us. And I'm kind of tracing it back to my childhood. You know, we would go to vacation in India every year since I can remember. And I would see abject poverty. Yeah firsthand and seeing eight, nine-year-old girls looking through a car window at me, looking just like me. And I mean, it's just, it gets me choked up to think about that they don't have clothes, they don't have food, they're living on the street, you know, and it just, because it was so in my face, I felt compelled to give back. And, you know, we had made it a tradition in our family to visit orphanages, bring food, and then I would get to interact with the children and it made it all the more personal. So is there a way that we could do that for young kids? I mean, I was thinking showing them the videos of a homeless shelter in the area or something that makes it palpable that like, you know, this is a child and, you know, they don't have what you have and it's up to us to help them out. 
Yeah. I love what you said about it, a tradition, because I think for us, it's the same. And I think that that traditions are a very powerful thing for families, especially for young kids. Cause then they know like every time we go to India, this is what we do. And it becomes part of their narrative and it really, it's not a one-off right experience. Right. So I think what you're doing is exactly what I like to say is one of the most powerful things is come. It could be a Thanksgiving you know, effort that you do, it could be around Christmas time, but pick one thing that kind of is that tradition for the family and do it every year from when they're young, instead of trying to do a lot of things, not very well. Right. So for us, very similar to you, whenever we travel to another country, we've traveled to Costa Rica a lot and we always use one of our days to be of service. So we'll go to a a local school and we'll spend time with the kids and we'll help with supplies. And then we'll meet some of the families in the community, go to the shop and we'll buy some diapers and some baby food and some other things. And, you know, the kids get a sense. I think kids get a really clear sense, especially when in, in an educational context, when they see a school or they see how other children their age are living. And then they see how happy they are too, many of them, right? So Anya's experience was always when we went to Costa Rica, she's like, mama, they don't have anything. Like they barely have any lunch to eat and they're so happy. And what is that? So yes. that don't always equate somebody who is living in poverty as somebody who's actually unhappy. Right. You know, and it builds an understanding of a range of experiences experiences and ways of living, you know, that I think are really important to kind of help understand. The other thing, you know, as we talk a lot as a country around diversity and equity and inclusion, I think one of the findings that many people are are understanding around how to understand diversity is that it it has to be about conversations about shared experiences. So as younger children get older, how can they be in different environments so that they understand different experiences for children and really build that empathy as they're going. So it's not divorced from their life. You know, it's like Mm. us versus them, but rather like we're all human and we all have this shared common experience. You know, how do we create some experiences and, and build empathy around that? That's incredible. That's definitely something we can take a cue from, whether you're trying to give back to your own community or when you are traveling abroad, how you can make sure that you carve out time on your vacation to help the locals. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think it's very powerful for children to see that also their parents value that as well, you know, part of their family values. Exactly. We hope you enjoyed this week's At Home with Homer segment. To download the app, visit learnwithhomer.com backslash momsense, M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, to receive your very own 60-day free trial. Your kids are going to love playing the games, watching the visual stories, and more. Now, back to the interview. Tell us about the retailers you work with in addition to having your own e-commerce component. Yeah, so the retailers I work with intentionally are boutiques that carry other really sort of hand-picked curated items because one thing that I've learned is I need someone, a buyer, to really understand and appreciate the line and not just sort of throw the candles on a shelf in the back somewhere and not try to tell the story of 
the maker, the intention, the ingredients. And so I found that working with these luxury boutiques all across the country has served the, the brand very, very well. They fall in love with the candles. Obviously, they reorder. They put us in the window and they tell their customers about it. They really let them know, hey, we have this new brand. It's amazing. And then I, you know, getting the feedback is is wonderful. We've also worked with J. Crew and Madewell and been on their e-commerce sites, which was really fabulous. And J. Crew said, Oh my gosh, we have a lot of men buying your candles, which was also sort of a testament to this sort of modern minimalist. I don't know, gender neutral, which was what I also wanted. I wanted something that everyone could appreciate and that was accessible. Tell us about your entrepreneurial journey. You had a partnership at one point and things went south. Tell us about how you grew from that and and any lessons learned for those entrepreneurs listening. I mean, the first thing I would say is get yourself a good attorney write up an agreement, you know, just spring for that, whatever, however much it costs and do it the right way. I went into it very naive because I have had my experience with my best friend, Alea with the jewelry line. And it was so easy and it felt so good. And I thought, okay, well, here's this person that I know that knows me And we'll go into this together and I'll be the creative. I did the sales and that she would sort of take on the operations. And it was really interesting because I didn't set any boundaries. Mm. So there were calls at 11 p.m., 6 a.m. And also this drive to grow, 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 grow at this insane pace, which was not sustainable for a mom, a wife, someone who also, you know, me, I wanted something else for my life. I didn't want to do candles 24 seven. And I was becoming really anxious and obsessed with growing. And if we weren't growing fast enough, then I just started to get like freak out and then get aggravated with my husband and really not nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So things were sort of happening behind the scenes. And I realized I don't want to do this anymore. I would rather walk away from this wonderful company that I created Mm -hmm. than continue to deal with this. But my husband said, you created this. This is yours. Fight for it. This is something to show our children Look at what you did and look at how you're fighting for what you believe in. And I did. And I fought. And in the end, here I am. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. prevailed. (laughs) I did because I was tenacious about it and I documented everything. So that's the other thing I would tell anyone out there, if you're getting into a partnership, to really think about what you want and the direction that you want to go into. And don't forget who you are and what you stand for. Yes, you have to compromise. Everyone does. That's an important part of of life, negotiating and compromising. But at the end of the day, if you feel like you're compromising your values, then it's probably not the right thing to be doing. 
Yeah, very true. What are your aspirations for Bode Well? What's next on the horizon for the brand? Well, funny you should ask, because I'm in the middle of designing the future line. And we're definitely going into a more lifestyle direction. So keeping with the candles, going into diffusers and room sprays and roll-ons and perfumes and developing a men's line to sort of expand. I've got my holiday collection already designed So that's a very exciting thing for me because I've never had a holiday collection before. So I can't wait to launch that. And I have a line coming out in July, late July, that is just right there on the horizon. And I can't wait to launch it. And it's called the Future Collaboration. And I took sort of what has been happening over the past year, the pandemic, I was just thinking about what would the future look like for us. And I saw this really beautiful light around all of us and in the world post-pandemic. And I wanted to create candles that were beautiful and inspiring and soft. So they're all soft pastel colors. And they all have names that really resonate with who we are as human beings. So there's bold and tender and noble and human and radiant because I feel like that's who we are. Oh my gosh. So you're truly multifaceted. And I know this firsthand because we've had many conversations about it. And, And the other thing that I'm so excited for you is your book. Your poetry um, is so profound and it speaks to the heart. And just tell us how that kind of came to be for you. I started writing when I was six years old and I still have my little booklets that I created in elementary school, my poetry. Yep. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. You preserved that. I don't know. I guess I had the foresight to keep that because I haven't really kept much, but that has come with me through all of my moves and college and the millions of places that I've lived. And so this past year, on one hand, we had so much time, but then I was also like, my kids were home. They were not in school, but I thought I'm going to make some time to sit down and write. And as I was writing, I realized I have something to say. And then I thought, okay, why don't I write a book, a book of poetry? And I did it in this way where I really went inside of myself and I talked about sort of all the things that I felt like I couldn't. And then the title came to me, which (laughs) is all the things I could not say. And it was sort of perfect. So, um, yeah, I have a 52-page manuscript. It's out there in, in the world of agents and publishers. And I am just going to keep going, no matter what. Even if I get a million rejections, I'm just going to keep going. Tell us about that. Like logistically, when did you find yourself just you know having this outpour and writing? Well, it certainly wasn't me sitting in an office for five hours, sitting down with my candle burning and my <laughs> cup of tea. No, it was yeah. when I was washing the dishes, okay. when I was doing the laundry. 
I would wake up in the morning before I made breakfast for the kids at maybe five, five thirty, And the, the ideas would come in my head and I'd get out my phone still in bed and I would write them in my little notes section. And then nice. I would let it be and go back to it and realize, oh my God, this is the start or the middle or the end of an entire poem. And sometimes I would be driving and I would pull over and say, okay, mommy's got to write something. <laughs> Good for you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's the way that I've always written. Um, it's always come to me in the complete form or the way that the words, the rhythm of the words have come out. So it's pretty rare that I ever edit any of the poems. I think I've edited three, four, because it just is coming from this organic place. About the poems, I wanted you to share one of my favorites because you've given, you've been so kind to given to have given me access to to reading them, and that's the past life poem. Oh, so, yes, yeah, and being um, Indian and uh, born into Hinduism. We believe in past lives, we believe in karma, we believe in the fact that everything in life is impermanent and we're all connected and it's a cycle. And so that's just really palpable for me. And so reading your poem about that just hit home. And I'd love for you to share an excerpt of it if you can. Sure. So I wrote this poem when I met my husband and after we'd been together for a few months because I wanted to express to him what he meant to me and how I felt. So this is before we got married. Past life. You came to me framed in concrete columns, secretly hiding precious copper piping beneath the surface of still waters like glass, but sharper, especially when unbroken. I poked and plagued until I found your core so deep, much deeper than I've ever wandered. And when I was lost, you stood unyielding. Not even the thunder of my guts or the flood of my history could waylay you for even a moment. As I curled up into the red warm cradle of your heart, you rocked me on the tender timbre of your voice and your hands and in your eyes I fell apart only to be sewn back together with the delicate fold of your lashes. I've never seen such a surgery, the way you danced the demons from my dreams and threw them into the wind, replacing them with a lifetime of promises of love. Suddenly my life doubled as if I were a twin and you the other, at night cleaving my heart to yours, whispering my vows into the stuff of pillows, hoping the magic words would awaken you with an I do. And as we practice the steps of married life, like amateurs tango tripping and tongue tied, we tripled our chances, now betting against all odds that we would fumble, talking into each other's faces, swearing eternity could never catch up to us. I knew you when we stood at the foothills of fog soaked places, gazing across the expanse of green and knowing your unknown cheek and the stories surrounding your eyes before I could know my own name. So nothing, not even death, can keep me from your arms. Ah, so beautiful. (laughs) beautiful. And to think 
you know, these, those emotions you felt before you married him, before you had your children, before you built this life together, you really were plugged in and you knew that he was your person. Yeah, absolutely. Just a funny little side note. I had done a past life regression in therapy uh, because I'm also a certified hypnotherapist. Mm -hmm. So I did this past life regression. We were in Tibet and we were both from the same village and we were dressed in these clothing. And it was, I don't even know how long ago. And I remember finding him across these foothills and looking at his face. And he looked very much the way he looks right now. He's Japanese, but he looks like Hawaiian. He's got really dark skin. Yeah. And really strong features. And I remember looking into his eyes and I also looked like him. I knew that we loved each other. And then the past life regression jumped and I was having our first child and he was holding my hand and he was by my side and I came out of it and I said, oh, oh my God, this is my soulmate. We really did fall in love when we first met each other. The very first moment we knew that was it. And then that sort of was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. it hits you. (laughs) This is real. It's real. And he's my best friend. Oh my gosh. Do you have any parenting advice or hacks, really anything that you've learned (laughs) through your own journey? I just started doing this thing because my son plays baseball, my daughter plays softball. And I thought about this concept of three strikes, right? It's kind of weird. And I think it sounds like more aggressive than it is. But when something is going on, or I hear sort of an argument between the kids, I'll say, okay, I feel like you might be getting a strike, but let's see. And as soon as they hear that word, they're like, oh, we don't want that. We don't want that. And even if they get to three throughout the day, I'll say, well, what can you do to take one away? And they'll spontaneously do something like pick up their toys or go initiate their bath time. And then they'll say, well, and I'll say, you know what? That was kind of worth three. That was worth taking away three. Oh, great. We end up at zero because I feel like it's kind of the idea of having a jar of marbles and you have this jar and you might start taking marbles out. And the other important thing is that they work as a community, the three kids. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of like you have to work together so that you can help each other get through these moments, these challenging moments. And they all have them. I have them. My husband has them. You were, yeah. we're not human without challenges and the challenges help them to grow. And then I hear them talking to each other like, okay, Nico, take a deep breath. It's time to calm down. We can do this. And even my four-year-old will say things like, Nico, I know you don't want to get a strike. So let's figure this out. And I'm like, what? That's, That's my awesome. Yeah. It's like, let's make sure we all are like, <laughs> you know, like in the family yeah. time, you know, yes, yes, it's, yeah. it's incentivizing. So that, that, I mean, even after all of the sit down and talk through things, I feel like something that's more actionable is resonating with them right now. 
we're going to kind of like work with this and see how it evolves and transforms. So that, that's what's going on right now. <laughs> that is great. That's great. And I love that it's not only just kind of incentivizing positive reinforcement, but it's also getting them to work together because that rarely happens. It's almost like you would think could be competitive where it's right. like, I don't have any strikes and you do, you know, but it's right. not that. It's like, let me help you not get any. <laughs> yes. yes. That's yes. so great. That's so great. Okay. So I always end with the same last three kind of questions to tie everything together. The first is your mom sense moment. Is there an instance you can share that some a moment where you were like, I, I just knew what my kids needed and I did it? I would say after my daughter was born and seeing her as a complete being that was on her path, on her journey, and believing that she chose me as her mother, there was this sense of, I don't own you and I'm not here to control you and you have to find your way and I'm going to hold you in that space. And that was a huge realization, huge. It really created this strong bond, but it was like a rubber band. Go, go, and then you'll come back and I'll always be here. Pretty beautiful. (laughs) Yes, yes. And that's kind of a philosophy that we should all embrace. It's now time for Mom Hall, when we share products we love. So is there a product or anything that you are loving right now that you can just share with our audience? I will talk about toys of that all four-year-old, six-year-old, and 10-year-old love. And we've had the same set and only expanded upon it since my daughter was born. And they are magnetiles. I think magnetiles <laughs> are so amazing because you can really see the way your children develop over time and the more complex creations and then the just the play that can happen with those things. I love them. I wish I invented them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they are so fun. Um, and I completely agree. I love that. Like my son, for instance, he loves building things and he loves his cars, like his mini matchbox cars. And so oftentimes with his magnetiles, he builds like this 10 car garage yep. and he just parks them in there. And it's just like, that's innovative. It's, you know, yep. it doesn't have to always be this house. And it's temporary. So they, mm. it, they love to smash it. I mean, yep. my four-year-old is like, okay, are you done building that? Now I want to step all over. <laughs> and nobody gets mad because yes. we get it. We understand like build it, wreck it, build something else. And it, I think they're fantastic. Yes. A metaphor for life. Absolutely. For real. For yeah. real. Um, and where can my listeners find you, find Bodewell? Find us online at our website, bodewellliving.com and on Instagram at bodewellliving, where you can find our little sales that we do, our launches that are coming up and sort of the things that, that we find important and inspiring. Amazing. Effie, this was a dream. Thank you, Effie, for sharing your incredible story with us. There is so much depth in what you do, 
And I'm really grateful to be connected with you and be your friend. For you listeners, if you aren't already aware with Bodewell Living, it is the ultimate lifestyle brand and is rooted in all things that make sense. And by that, I mean candles. <laughs> now I'd like to share something very special with you. Effie and I collaborated on a candle called the Mom Sense Candle, and it has culminated to be what it is because of sheer serendipity, I have to say. So true to her branding, Mom Sense is uh, written M dot O-M. And this kind of means so many different things. So the word mom, and in Hindi, mombati means candle. And the word om stands out. And om is the most sacred of all mantras in Hinduism and is truly a universal philosophy. And it's one that I chant often. And it's supposed to show you the light when you're surrounded by darkness. The Mom Sense candle energizes your spirit with notes of jasmine and sandalwood. And the nostalgic fragrance reminds me of my childhood when I'd visit my grandmother, my nani in India. And the flowery and musky notes are a perfect blend and they provide for a soothing, lingering scent that evokes a sense of calm and serenity in your home. And that's something that all parents need. Am I right? <laughs> so you can purchase your very own mom sense candle on my website. And if you just visit that's total go to the shop tab and it's right there. And I want you to know that a portion of the proceeds benefits rise 100 by Sundara. I am a founding member of this nonprofit group and it is one that's very close to my heart because we're empowering communities, um, especially through female leaders, uh, local leaders, to provide sanitation and hygiene in you know underprivileged areas. And so it's something that's really needed in this day and age. We helped a young girl named Shreya helped a community in, in Bangalore where they didn't have public uh, toilets and, and plumbing. And so she had one built in a slum community. And for the first time ever, a group of select families are using it. And it's just, it's completely changed their lives, especially women who have to deal with menstruation and, you know, the hygiene that goes around that. So this is changing our world for the better. And it's through local communities and those who are less fortunate and need our help. Effie has so generously created a promo code, MOMSENSE, so it's M-O-M-S-E-N-S-E, for 20% off site-wide at bodewellliving.com. Again, that's MOMSENSE, site-wide at bodewellliving.com. If you're loving that subtle mom sense and you tune in every week, I can't thank you enough for being a loyal listener. So when you get a chance, please rate and review it. And it's very easy. You can go to Apple Podcasts through mobile only and find where to rate and leave your review. And on a monthly basis, I am going to be reading some of these reviews and 
the lucky winner gets MomSense swag, and in this case, a MomSense candle, which retails for $42. So thank you, thank you for being part of my tribe. I wouldn't be doing this every week if it weren't for you. If you want to reach out to me, email me at thatstotalmomsense at gmail.com. Remember, trust your mom sense and your dad sense and just plain sense. Um, and by that, I mean S-E-N-S-E and S-C-E-N-T-S <laughs> um, because I love puns. Thank you. Thank you for putting up with me and being part of my tribe. See you next time. That's total mom sense.